Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited because it is officially 2021. It is a brand new year. And I'll tell you what, I have a fantastic guest to kick off the podcast for 2021. That is right, you guys. We have a huge star. I mean, we have a superstar in the animal world on the Animals to the Max podcast today. Are you guys ready for it? On the show, we have Coyote Peterson. He is an adventurer, animal expert, YouTube personality, an author, an Emmy Award winning host. He has a show on Animal Planet, but most importantly, and what he's known for is his massive, massive YouTube channel, the Brave Wilderness YouTube channel, which has, listen to this, you guys, 18.1 million subscribers and a total combined of 3.8 billion video views. Let me just let that sink in. 3.8 billion video views. This guy, I mean, more than likely you have seen him. He is global. Matter of fact, the Brave Wilderness channel is the most watched wildlife content in the digital space. This guy is a big deal. And I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. And I'll tell you what, it was so cool, you guys, to finally talk to him. It was worth the wait. You know, Coyote was such an awesome guy. And Honestly, this has been, I'm going to say it for the record, probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done on the podcast. He's just a super nice guy. He's just a great storyteller, a fantastic interviewer. I was able to ask him things I've always wanted to ask him. You know, I've I've been a huge fan of his channel for such a long time. Really with this show and kind of with all my guests, I like to dig deeper and I wanted to get his backstory. You know, I mean, we look at him now and he's successful and he has all these shows and millions of fans around the world. But how did he get there? How did he start the Brave Wilderness Channel? How did he end up on Animal Planet? You guys, he shares with me all the details in just just a really good interview. This is a pretty candid interview. I'm not too sure he does too many long form interviews, especially in the podcast space. So it was so cool to land this interview on the Animals to the Max podcast podcast. It is very inspirational, which I think I think that's what we need right now. And this day and age is just some inspiration, some feel-good stories. And Coyote and his story of how he literally built his brand from the ground up to, you know, the most massive wildlife channel in the world is truly amazing. So it's very inspirational for anyone out there. And, you know, not just for anyone who wants to, you know, start a YouTube channel or who wants to be in front of the camera. This is just inspirational for anybody who has a dream. Anybody who wants to accomplish something, anyone who has their eyes on something, uh, maybe your dream is it seems so unattainable or maybe it's just like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll never get there. You guys, Coyote is living proof that you can do absolutely anything in this world and I just had such a good time talking to him and picking his brain. Once again, I know you guys are going to love it. With that said, before we get to the interview, as always, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or whichever podcasting platform you would like. It helps get the show out there. Our downloads are growing, which is great. 
you want more behind the scenes content, as always, make sure to follow me on my social channels at Corbin Maxi on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I will also include the links of Coyote's social channels. I don't think you guys need them because you probably already follow the guy, but I will include all the links also including his YouTube channel there. If you'd like to support the show, please feel free to do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash animals to the max. All the funding just kind of goes back to the show and the show is a labor of love. So if you want to keep the show ad free, make sure to go check out our Patreon page. With that said, let's get to it. Please welcome to the show animal expert and adventurer, Coyote Peterson. Coyote, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Corbin. Excited to be here. Okay, so I have to be honest with you. It's hard for me to call you Coyote because in Idaho, we say coyotes. (laughs) You know, I do have people sometimes, depending on the location that I'm in, they will call me Coyote or Yodi. Yodi is another nickname that I hear a lot. So call me whatever you need to. Okay, so if I accidentally say Coyote, you're not going to get mad? Not at all. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, you I've are been called way worse. Trust me. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I mean. By the way, you have you have such an impressive record. I actually I did a lot of research on you last night, and I'm I'm surprised it didn't have nightmares because I literally hit the playlist on your YouTube channel and just watched hours of your content of you getting bit, stung, all sorts of things. And, cool. uh, well, I, I appreciate it. I guess that's where a lot of those views came from yesterday. Dude, 100%. But I was going to say, man, you have a staggering 3.8 billion views on YouTube. That's insane. Uh, is it at 3.8 now? I haven't looked at it in a while. I didn't know it was that high. Last time I saw it, it was in like the 3. Point, somewhere in the 3.7s, I think. Wow, I didn't know we were at 3.8. Thanks I, for the... I didn't realize that. That's either awesome. either I rounded. I thought I'm pretty sure you're at 3.8, and then you're at 18.1 million subscribers. That's insane, man. I so I've always wanted to talk to you. I want to get behind the hat. Did you like that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was so cheesy. I apologize. So I I really just want to talk to you. Like, how did this start? I want to talk about your childhood and just really go in there. We have a lot of young people listening. I'm sure that have watched your videos and they just kind of want to know you know, where it all began. Yeah, no, absolutely. Happy to share any bit of the story that you're interested in. No question is off the table. I'll do my best to answer everything I possibly can and always happy to share the story and just always feel very fortunate to be in this position where we're able to bring people animals and education and conservation and of course, a healthy slant of entertainment at the same time, because that certainly seems to be an important element with all of this. Yes, 100%. So once again, I did some digging on you. You grew up in Ohio? I did, yeah. I'm actually in Ohio right now at my home office in Columbus, but I grew up in Northeastern Ohio in a very small town called Newberry. Newberry. Okay, I've been through Ohio. Okay, very nice. Did you grow up wanting to be on TV or wanting to work with animals in some capacity? Uh, strangely enough, I never had any desire to be in front of a camera. I always wanted to be behind the camera. Um, one thing that if you dig deep enough, you'll find in, in some background stuff that I went to the Ohio State University for college and I have a degree in, um, in filmmaking, essentially a self-made degree in, in script writing, producing and directing. So those sort of three things combined together to be able to produce any project that you're envisioning. Um, But when I was in college, you know, I understood the idea and what it took to be in front of a camera, but never had like one of those internal desires to be like, oh, I would love to be a 
TV star or a movie star or something like that. I was never really drawn to that spotlight element of it. When it comes to wanting to do something with animals, certainly when I was a younger kid, I would say between the ages of five and, you know, an early teenager. I mean, the idea of having an animal adventure show was certainly something that was a, a great uh, world of imagination for me, but nothing that I ever really put the pieces together with until I was actually out of college and really kind of saw the ability to take the art of filmmaking and then combining it together with my love for animals. And one thing that a lot of people don't know is when I was very early on in developing any animal adventure concepts, I was trying to develop things for other show hosts and would try to get my oh. friends to be the ones in front of the camera and I'd be the one behind the camera and trying to like help them deliver lines or like I would actually catch animals and then give them to the other person in front of the camera and be like, all right, here's how you hold it. And people just were not real comfortable with that. So eventually my producing team and I were like, why don't you just get in front of the camera and do it yourself? Cause it would make a whole lot more sense. You're the one catching the animals anyways. We want to get all that on camera to begin with. So it all kind of aligned and made sense. Really? And by the way, I want to back up. You grew up in Ohio. So did you idolize Jack Hanna? Um, you know, I had a really great understanding of the work Jack did uh -huh. and watched all of his Saturday morning adventures. But, you know, Jack is, is one of the godfathers of animal adventure shows. But I would definitely say that Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin, and Marty Stauffer are probably my top three that I really um, – sort of connected with and it's it's not that i don't greatly respect all the work that jack does it's that steve and jeff were really the ones getting immersed in the environments and interacting with animals i mean it's it's always fair to say that steve irwin's been my biggest inspiration but i love the sort of um storytelling and humor that jeff corwin brought to his episodes mm -hmm. and then what i loved about marty stauffer he did a show called wild america is him and his brothers were really from the cinematographic standpoint where they were going out and filming animals. So for me as a kid, that was a huge thing to be like, man, sneaking out into the environment to see animals in their environment naturally and not interacting with them was also a value. So then I kind of combined it all together to create the shows that we do. But um, back to answering more directly to Jack Hanna, I, I've met Jack a couple of times. He's a wonderful guy. He's done an incredible job with the Columbus Zoo. And um, yeah, he's one of the all-time greats. That's for sure. That's awesome. I like how you said he's the godfather of, mm -hmm. the, of yeah, you're so right, man. That's so right. That's so right. I mean, in, in America, he definitely is. And then, and then cer certainly, you know, David Attenborough in his own right is, is a godfather. Like you, it's, it's such a small world of people that um, have had these, sort of in front of the spotlight careers in animals. You know, a lot of times uh, the world of animals is more in a, a scientific world or a conservation world. It's, it's not, you know what I mean? There aren't a thousand people that have been in front of the camera necessarily presenting animals. Um, so I definitely look at, at Jack and, and David as being the two godfathers and then, you know, Irwin and Corwin and uh, all those other guys kind of come underneath. Dude, Sir David Attenborough, man, that's, I am on, he's on my radar to get him on the show, but you have to write him a handwritten letter. <laughs> so I like, to reach him, like he's old school. Nothing short of that. I know, like I need to almost send like an owl or a pigeon or something, you know, to hopefully try to get him on the show. So, okay, so you're at Ohio State University and that's where you team up and you meet your buddy Mark, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And he is your cinematographer and you guys, so you're at school. Is that when this idea hatched 
of you possibly putting together a, like, I'm trying to figure out when did this, when did you decide like, wow, we should really start doing something. Yeah. The, the animal adventure show stuff really didn't happen at all in college. And it is where I met Mark, but our Genesis for the animal adventure shows really came a few years after college. Um, so I graduated in the winter between 2004 and 2005, and then Steve Irwin tragically passed away in 2006. And, you know, it's fair to say that I was following Steve's work for, you know, a, a solid decade before he tragically, you know, was taken. Um, and when that happened, I was in the midst of also um, creating uh, some independent film projects. I was trying to get a, my like my second screenplay that I had written, I was trying to get it off the ground, got really close to getting it, it financed. And for a kid, I was like, I don't know, I, mean, I still consider myself a kid, but at the time I was like 25 years old. I had like a $5 million deal that was about to close wow. up in Hollywood and it fell apart last minute. And it was incredibly heartbreaking for myself and my, my friends that were involved in the project. And just strangely enough, at that exact same time, I ended up catching this huge common snapping turtle at a place called the Holden Arboretum that's in Northeastern Ohio. And I I caught it because these kids were looking at it in the water and I knew how to get it out of there and like to show it to them and they'd never seen one up close. And it attracted this whole crowd of people. And then afterwards, this woman came up to me and she's like, you need to have your own animal adventure show. Never really had I thought about that seriously, but I took the story and some of the pictures that um, a friend of mine had captured in that moment back to my producing team. And they were like, dude, like this is the time to maybe do something with this because Bear Grylls, who was doing Man vs. Wild at the time, like he was just on his rise at that moment. And Steve had just recently passed away. Jeff Corwin wasn't really doing any more animal stuff. And it's like nobody was doing an animal adventure show. So we saw this opportunity to um, essentially try to create something of our own. And it took us nearly a decade of development work before there was ever even a YouTube channel. So there's this huge gap between like 2008 and 2014 that we were developing all these concepts for Brave Wilderness, none of which anybody's ever seen. I mean, we've got hours and hours and hours of mini DV tapes of me catching snapping turtles, catching rattlesnakes, catching alligators, doing all of this stuff, trying to develop what would be a TV show only to ever be told no by any of the networks. And then we launched YouTube in 2014. So there's this weird gap that, you know, I was trying to make it, but nobody knows about. Dude, I just got chills hearing that story. Um, I just, I, I'm so happy you said that because it's so easy for people to look at you and be like, oh, look at him. 3.8 billion views. He has a show on Animal Planet. He's sitting in this awesome fancy office with the dinosaur behind him. And uh, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I love the backstory. And that's why I love doing this show because a lot of people, they don't see the years of hard work and just the perseverance that go into this. I mean, that's mind blowing. Cause I mean, if, cause she's launched in 2014, it, you guys make it look like you just started the show that year and you just put out content yeah. every week. But I mean, that was, you said nearly a decade of just putting things together. Yeah, it was, it really, it, you know, it wasn't quite that, but it felt close to that. And they always say that it takes 10,000 hours for you <sighs> to perfect a craft. And, you know, it was, easily 10,000 hours of just trial and error and a lot Mm -hmm. of deals that seemed like they might turn into something, but that just 
never materialized. And that would be contracts in Hollywood, the potential to, you know, work with different wildlife establishments. And when you're trying to come up in a world that is competitive, and I'm speaking specifically about the entertainment industry, it's really hard to do when you're a bunch of kids from Ohio and you don't really have the right connections. I was lucky enough to make a couple of them early on with what I was trying to develop with independent films that also believed in me when I was like, all right, I'm gonna totally shift gears from being a producer, a writer, and a director into hopping in front of the camera to try to be a personality in the world of animals. And, you know, in my mind, uh, pick up this torch that Steve Irwin had lit um, to, to carry on. Like, how do you bring animals and a message of conservation, education, but this high level of entertainment and good production quality to the next generation, right? Because mm -hmm. I knew that, you know, at my age, then in my, my late 20s, that there wasn't going to be a huge audience for like necessarily 30 year olds to want to learn about animals. I always considered it like a younger generation mm -hmm. and, you know, losing Steve, we were like, man, well, who's going to do that next? And, you know, Bear Grylls was, I mean, I, I just love Bear. I think he's just such a, an amazing role model and he's been such an inspiration to me, but Bear was doing something very different by killing and eating animals. Yeah. So survival. And I was like, I appreciate that, but at the same time, as a younger kid, had I been watching that, I would have been heartbroken to see him bite the head off a frog or kill an alligator. You know I know! I mean? He, like, killed a snapping turtle in one of his videos one time. I remember I was horrified. It's the last time I watched him. I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to see this. I'm serious. Okay, so continue. So you wanted to <laughs> be a little different from the Bear Grylls. Yeah, but we, we saw how successful Bear was becoming because he captured that immersive cinematography and that's what really separated man versus wild from a lot of the other animal adventure shows. And, and this by no means discredits the work of, you know, anybody else, Steve Irwin, mm -hmm. Jeff Corn, or anything like that. Times were different with technology. I mean, when Steve was shooting, those dudes were carrying around like 50 pound cameras on their shoulders and doing this to make it look shaky. You didn't have a GoPro. You didn't have a wrist yeah. camera. You know, when Man vs. Wild launched, the camera technology was evolving to become smaller. So therefore, as we were creating our rise into animal adventure uh, entertainment, we were using smaller and smaller cameras, which allowed us to get further and further into the environment, which I think is what makes, you know, if I might say, say it, our content really engaging is that you really feel like you're in the environment with us. Oh yeah. You guys do a great job. You captured it. I mean, you capture it perfectly. I mean, obviously your success can, can just attest to that. And I, you know, back onto Steve Irwin, I think they were filming with the handy cam during their honeymoon. That was the pilot episode for the crocodile yeah. hunter. It was their yeah, honeymoon, <laughs> which is still, I would argue to say that that original crocodile hunter episode that they did stands is like, that's like the citizen cane of uh, wildlife adventure filmmaking right there. So um, I've probably seen that episode 25 times, if not more, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how technology has evolved since the days of Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin to today's day in space. Okay, perfect. Okay, so it, it so it took you nearly six years. I did the math wrong there. So not yeah. a decade, but six years. Were there times where you wanted to give up? 
Oh, I mean, countless ones. And I guess when I say decade, I look at the years spent before that developing this independent film, which okay. lasted almost four years. So it's all a part of the process of learning how to communicate within the entertainment industry, how to craft stories, how to put teams together. And when it comes to being told no, dude, I've got a mountain of no's that is so big. If it was actually worth something, I'd be like Scrooge McDuck in his uh, water tower filled with golden coins because if I let any of those no's completely defeat my team, we would have never made it. But every time somebody was like, no, hey, I mean, that's cool, man. Like you're convincing and you got good energy and clearly you know how to catch animals. Good for you. But, you know, we like these ensemble shows like uh, Duck Dynasty or, oh, yeah. um, you know, all those like ragtag, like when, when the hillbilly television oh. circuit was like the big thing is when we were trying to pitch a solo hosted animal adventure series every network nat geo discovery history all of them talked to all of them all of them said no turtle man dude i remember those days and my so my producers on the today show so they booked turtle man and then they were okay. telling me they were like god the guy showed up with no teeth and they're like you booked the turtle man. <laughs> like that's who you booked like you just, like anyway i mean nothing against people who don't have teeth you know whatever but i dude i feel you man and i i had someone in the entertainment industry tell me a long time ago don't tell people because i mean i've been in this business too for a long time and i've have had so many knows as well and i've had people tell me don't 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 share those you need to make it seem like you just were able to you know do this and i i i disagree i think it's inspiring for people to hear the defeats and i feel like i think it's super important i mean i really really do i'm a i'm a really big um sports fan mainly nba basketball and i'm from cleveland and anybody that knows cleveland knows the defeats that we have faced throughout our, our entire lives as Cleveland sports fans. Um, and when the Cavs won the championship in 2016, you know, we had LeBron James. And I use that as an example because, like, I guess I came from a culture growing up as a kid that I was used to seeing things not work out the way you wanted them to, but you just kept fighting, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and not to ever compare myself to somebody like LeBron James, but he's somebody that like never gave up. Even when there was defeats, you just keep going. And I think it's really important for the younger generation to realize that not everybody gets a trophy. Like this world <laughs> we live in today where it's like even the runners up get a trophy. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I mean, that's cool. I can support that, but you have to know what the taste of defeat tastes like because it makes you hungrier to want to have a win. And I like sharing the background stories of Brave Wilderness and the times that didn't work out because if all you ever see are the successes, you think it was easy. And mm -hmm. it's usually the hardest, most complicated, challenging moments that force you to strive to that level of success. And you have to have the losses if you want to have the wins. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. And, and I feel you. So my background isn't really in YouTube. I'm trying right now, but it's mainly in, in national television. So the mm -hmm. shows like The Tonight Show, The Today Show, and dear God, that I'll tell you what, man, the years it has taken to be on these national platforms, I just, just want to say I totally feel for you, man. I just totally feel for you. And uh, perseverance, it really works out. It really does. Yeah, but and 
and I, I did a little digging into like the shows and stuff that you've been on. So you know just as well as I know that Dude. when it comes to bringing animals into the world of that version of Hollywood, it is complicated. People don't realize no. all of the hoops you have to jump through, the permitting that is needed. Anytime an animal shows up on a daytime, a morning or a late night talk show, it is a huge to do. I actually try to defer away sometimes from bringing animals because every time I go on a show, they're always like, cool, what animals is Coyote bringing? And I'm like, dude, do you guys really need me to bring animals? Can't you show clips? Can't I just bring my personality? And tell <laughs> you and we want to hear the stories, but it'd be great if you could get this, this, and this animal. And it's like, ah. Oh. All right, let me see what I can do. But you know, it's it's Dude, a lot of work. I know. It is so much work. People have no idea. Like, there's pe no idea. Like, there's people who have asked me, like, so how'd you get on the Today Show? Did you just call them and see if you can come on? And it's like, they don't see the nearly three and a half years of the knocking, you know what I mean? The no, no, no's. And then finally, dude. And then the animal permitting is the biggest okay i'm gonna be honest with you i've never really been this blunt about it it's the biggest headache in the whole entire world and they're making it, it stricter and stricter and the permitting gal i mean i i guess i should say i love her but it's just insane it's just up to like two people and it's like what you can bring on and people have no idea the work that goes on into permitting like we brought a cheetah on the today show last year and it was like we brought on share like it was like the <laughs> it was like the requirements to do it was just insane people have no idea what goes into a two and a half, three minute segment with animals on TV. No, and the amount of time that you have to spend on set, specifically uh -huh. the, the it's the what's behind the scenes that people I don't think get enough appreciation for. I feel like and maybe you would be the guy to do it. You gotta like write a book someday about the animal world behind the scenes of Hollywood. <laughs> there are only a handful of people out there in no. Hollywood that are these experts in the field of animals. And dude, they're so good at their jobs that where you see animals showing up in music videos or mm. movies, like it's, it's a very unique world. And, you know, not to dive into like a realm of like tiger King or something like that, but yeah. um, tiger King, I think in some regards, hurt certain aspects of the animal industry and the people that are doing a good job with permitted animals because of the way that all that was portrayed. And I'm not trying to go off tan tangent there, but it is a very delicate balance of a universe because animals are delicate to mm -hmm. say the least. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that behind the scenes, the well-being of these animals doesn't matter if it's a frog or it's a cheetah are taken into regard and it's good to know that the Hollywood system does care a lot about these creatures to make sure that they're okay behind the scenes before they have their moment in the spotlight. Dude, 100%. And so, and there are people, there's a lot of people out there who are anti what you and I do when we go on these shows. And it's crazy because it's like the work, like these animals, like, like you have to get a health certificate. We had to get them for tarantulas. We had to get, like, it's just, it's insane. Like we had to have a veterinarian on site to make sure that that tarantula was okay and you know comfortable and i don't even know how a vet could look at a tarantula i mean most of the time they're just like yeah it's fine but i was gonna say that and you know to those people who are against you know bringing animals on shows and i think you'd agree with me the animals we work with are animals that are comfortable around people they are usually hand raised or they're with their handlers the last thing that you'd want to do is bring on this wild animal uncomfortable on national TV. Like, I just feel like it's just, you know, when people are like, oh, you're abusing the animals, I just completely am just like, it's a complete opposite behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, you know, without trying to open up a can of worms for any of your viewers or for us to even necessarily go down this road of conversation, but 
you know, there is going to always be a fair share number of people that are against the idea of interacting with an animal, period, whether that's for a late night show or it's something like I do out in the wild with these species. And whenever I get that sort of conflict that comes across the, the plate on my table, my immediate response to people like that usually is like, look, we do our absolute best to make sure that these animals are ha- handled gently as little stress is put on them as possible, but you always see these things being released back into the wild, at least when we're speaking specifically about the shows that we do. And then I remind people, you know how many animals get hit by cars every day? Do you know how many people destroy animals out of uh, just fear or disgust? Um, So many different species that are losing their lives every day. So when you take an animal out of its environment for a matter of minutes to talk about it in front of the camera so you can educate people about it and get them excited about it and maybe even encourage them to protect it in the future, I think it's not that bad to put a very tiny bit of stress on an animal for a moment while you share it with the world to get people excited versus like, I mean, you're not biting the head off of a snake on camera. You know what I mean? So um, there has to be a certain balance. If we want to educate people about the animals that are out there, you have to get them on camera. It's the only way that it really works. Steve Irwin did it. Jeff Corwin did it. We're doing it. And if you do it the right way and a careful way, then everybody goes home happy. Yeah, that was genius, man. I love the shots after every, you know, after every Brave Wilderness video or, you know, the breaking trail episodes where you get stung, you know, you see the insect go off and (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like back into the wild and it's just, Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of a nice little closure to that. I mean, it's, it's super, super important and for fear of not wanting to come across the wrong way, but you know, let's use the tarantula hawk as an example, right? Get stung by a tarantula hawk. It's incredibly painful. You know, if I squashed that tarantula hawk, is the world going to all of a sudden fall apart because there's not enough tarantula hawks? No, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of tarantula hawks and they end up usually dying every season anyways. And the new ones hatch out, but that's not the point. It's important to see that animal heading back off into the wild unharmed because it is still a creature of our planet. It does still serve a purpose. And we want to show to the audience that like, look, the tarantula hawk's not angry at me. It stung me because it wanted to get away. And now that it is getting away, everybody gets to go home happy. And we learn something about something. We learn something about an animal that we otherwise might have been terrified of. And there's no reason to be afraid of it. Well, I'll tell you what, I bet, I mean, that video has been seen what billions of times i bet the majority of those people never even knew a tarantula hawk even existed or a velvet ant or a bullet ant i mean you're Mm -hmm. you're introducing these animals to people who have no idea what these creatures are these less iconic animals i i think it's great man i yeah so i i think it's great so i actually came across so i came across some interview with you so basically what happened is you you put everything back on you put everything on YouTube in 2014, correct? Was that that was I mean you never saw your content going on YouTube, is that correct? What do you mean when you say we never, we never saw it going on YouTube? Like so so you were trying to pitch these networks. Did you was YouTube like you never thought like wow, YouTube at first could be an avenue. Is that correct? No. No, so the origin of how the the Brave Wilderness YouTube channel came about is uh, my business partner Mark and I essentially struck up a deal with Discovery Communications, which Discovery owns Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, I mean, a a plethora of of different channels, right? At the time, 
Discovery was launching a digital network called Discovery Digital Networks. You know what I mean? This was like a, a new startup. Mm. They had very little content. They were trying to absorb some of the popular YouTubers that were out there. And this is just at the time when YouTube was becoming monetized. So it was like the Wild West for the most part. We pitched Discovery Communications to get on a channel that they were launching called Animalist, which they were positioning as the next animal planet in the digital space. Mark and I saw an opening, we landed a pitch. The kicker though, was that they didn't have any money. So Mark and uh. I went out, we got a private investor to put in a tiny amount of money. I mean, we are caught, we're talking sub six figures, significantly less than six figures. Um, we'll call it less than half of six figures into going out to produce these 12 pieces of content that Discovery was then going to distribute. With that money, Mark and I went out and ended up producing like, it was absurd. It was something like 30 some episodes wow. as compared to 12. Might have even been more, more than that. I can't remember mm -hmm. at this point. Um, but we came back, we launched it, and we was basically in Discovery's hands. They were putting it out on Animalist, but they were like, oh, let's have you guys create your own channel at the same time so that we can like promote this stuff back and forth between the two. While Animalist was not gaining any traction, our channel was. And all of a sudden you started seeing like the views piling up and the comments piling up. And then it was in, I think, February of 2015 that we launched the episode where I was intentionally quilled by a porcupine. Oh. That thing ended up on a playlist somewhere and just went bonkers. And, it, and by bonkers at the time, I mean, it was getting like tens of thousands of views, which uh -huh. really wasn't that much, but to us it was. And from there, the whole thing just kind of took off. Wow. So it took almost a year though for something viral for you, correct? I mean, but you were gaining traction, but it took almost a year to get that, uh, that first viral it, video out there. It did. It was actually, and this is kind of a cool statistic that I, I don't get to talk about much. It took us exactly to the calendar date one year, September 15th, 2014 through September 15th, 2015 to gain 100,000 subscribers. So it took us exactly a year to gain 100,000 subscribers, which at the time we were like, this is crazy. 100,000 people know what, what Breaking Trail is because it wasn't even Brave Wilderness at that point. Um, the channel was just called Breaking Trail. And then it took us an additional year I, or maybe just under a year before we reached a million subscribers. And then from there, we ended up becoming like one of the fastest channels in YouTube's history to reach 10 million subscribers. And this was, you know, before the day of like Mr. Beast and David Dobrik. And um, actually we were kind of coming up the same time as David Dobrik and Casey Neistat. But nowadays when you have a channel like Mr. Beast, it's just like, I don't know where all his subscribers come from. It's crazy. But um, yeah, we had a pretty amazing ride for uh, basically 2016 through 2018 is when the biggest growth in the channel happened. September of 2016 is when that Velvet Ant episode launched. Yep. And it was just like a rocket ship ride from there. Wow. That, oh my God. I, I, I just got chills again. How exciting. So were you and Mark, I mean, so when you hit 100K, was it just like the biggest celebration? Did you think it couldn't even get any better than this? Like, that's amazing. It took a year and your work's finally paying off. Well, we felt super justified that like, a hundred thousand people subscribing meant that at least a hundred thousand people 
at least at one point in time, at one moment when they click subscribe, had an interest in animals. Like we mm. were always looking at it from the animal perspective, not uh -huh. necessarily like us as humans. Mm -hmm. And we were like, this is great. Like if we're wanting to grow a brand based around animals, 100,000 people, like that's like a stadium full of fo football fans. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a legit number of people. When it grew so far beyond that, I mean, it's, it was crazy when we, we launched the Sting series and that's when everything really started to take off. Like I'll never forget the day that we put out the Velvet Ant video. It was actually the day after that I think it ended up like number one trending on YouTube or something like that. We sat in our office and watched the subscriber ticker going. There was a point where we were doing, we had done 300, I think it was like 362,000 subscribers in a single day. The ticker was going so fast. It looked like one of those meters at the gas station when you're filling up your car with gas and that smallest number is ticking. That's what it looked like. It was Dude. insane. The channel at one point was doing a million views an hour, which at that time was pretty massive. Dude, what do you guys do to celebrate? I mean, I'm just, that's so cool. Like all this hard work paying off all the no's, the mountains of no's of you, you know, you said, and to finally see it like, it's just like, ha ha, it's working. It is, it is working. Praise the Lord. What do you guys do? What do you and Mark do? Um, <laughs> well, most people would probably think, oh, you would go out and grab a couple beers and celebrate. We were immediately like, okay, how do we replicate this? What is the <laughs> next thing you need to do? To get to the next level and what's crazy about it is that we had no idea that the velvet ant was going to be so successful but we had already filmed the tarantula hawk right oh. like if that velvet ant episode had come out and like you know it had done a hundred thousand views we would have still put out the tarantula hawk and we probably still would have gone to film the bullet ant but we had not quite planned it that way yet mm -hmm. so then when the the Velvet Ant came out in uh, September. The Tarantula Hawk came out in October of 2016. And we were like, dude, we have to end the year with the Bullet Ant. So we did every piece of research that we could to find the location where we ultimately ended up filming the Bullet Ant. The craziest story is that the Bullet Ant episode was filmed two weeks before it came out. We literally flew to Costa Rica, worked with a wildlife reserve on private property finally found a bullet ant nest filmed that episode flew back our editor our lead editor at the time chris i wrote the script literally got off a plane at midnight went straight to the office we uploaded the episodes at five o'clock in the morning i was writing the script and we went straight into post-production for three days before the bullet ant launched and became the number one trending video the week of christmas december 2016. I mean, blew the top off of everything there was on YouTube, which was pretty crazy. Wow. So whose idea was it to get stung, though? Because, I mean, I mean, oh, my gosh. I mean, at first, were you like, oh, this sounds like a horrible idea. I mean, what? Do you want me to go through all this pain? Like, whose idea was it to get stung? My mom's, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, legit, because um, like you, you know that to be a good wildlife presenter – the name of the game is not to be bitten and stung by things. Like I pride myself on being able to interact with animals and not have them get aggressive and not find myself in harm's way. But we were filming in, in Arizona 
And my mom told us about harvester ants and a nest of them that had like erupted in her backyard, but she didn't want to destroy it because the horned lizards mm-hmm. love them. Like she's okay. got horned lizards living in her backyard, which she thought was the coolest thing. She was telling Mark and Mario and I about being stung by one and how it was like the worst thing she'd gone through. And I'm like, dude, like, mom, what are you talking about? This is an ant. And that's when we ended up filming the the attacked by ants video, which was a complete train wreck when we filmed it. And that is a, a modern movie miracle of how I was able to edit that thing together and have it make sense. Um, but it was in the midst of all of that where we learned about Justin Schmidt, who created the insect sting pain index, and then all of these other things that he got stung by. And when we saw the success of attacked by ants, that's when we were like, hmm, man, this is like, if Steven Spielberg took a book and then made it into a movie, how do we take Justin Schmidt's Sting of the Wild, the book, and Steven Spielberg it into a movie with YouTube videos? And it is exactly what we did. So we had a blueprint and then we just started making them. Dude, it's genius, man. It's genius. <laughs> Can I, I, I need to really compliment on, uh, compliment you on something. You don't swear when you're being stung. And I don't. Was that conscious? Yeah. I'm assuming it was, but. Uh, you know, look, as a, as a full grown adult, am I capable of saying curse words? Of course I am. Have I cursed in my life? Many a time. <laughs> but when we look at the creation of Brave Wilderness, it's like, as a parent myself, I'm like, dude, I can find better words than swear words or what we would call in my Leonardo DiCaprio noise moments. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio makes these crazy noises when he's in, in these different films. We are like, dude, just make noises and like express that pain visually without swearing. Like we consciously thought about this. And there was actually an early cut of the uh, Velvet Ant episode where we were laughing so much at the noises after we watched the first rough cut, we put in bleeps to make it sound like I was swearing just to see if it would be funnier. And then we were like, no, I don't think it's necessary. Like if I wasn't swearing, why fake a mask that would make it seem like you would have been swearing? Because of course, you know, you don't know who you're gearing towards with your audience. Is this teenagers? Is it adults? Is it little kids? But we ultimately defaulted on like the motto Brave Wilderness, which is we're making this content for a younger generation. And back to the idea of me being a parent, I would not want my kid watching something that was laden with swear words. It decreases the value and shows a lack of intelligence when it comes to how you're going to express yourself. Oh man. Good for you. I, yeah, I don't know how I'd act in that situation. I mean, okay. So when you're being stung, was there a moment where you're just like, cut the cameras. I am, I, I, I'm over this. Like I can't be in front of the camera. Like I'm just, did you just want to just, completely go away because i mean some of those scenes man you're just in this intense pain where mark is trying to talk to you and you're just like give me a second just give me a second i mean did you just want to break away at one point there you know there's it's a it's a delicate delicate balance right and i'll say that it's you know it's a performance as in that it's it's completely real right nothing you see is ever faked or or Mm. staged you stub your toe at night on your coffee table it hurts yeah right or you smash your thumb with a hammer when you're working in the garage on a doghouse project, it hurts. Take those exact same things, multiply them by 10, and then put yourself in front of a camera and say, okay, now I've gotta be composed and I have to deliver something that is logical gibberish that still is educating people about what the experience is. 
So that was always a difficult balance to figure out like, all right, keep it together. Plus your adrenaline's rushing and you're in pain and you don't know how your body's going to react to the venom because these are venoms that like no one really plays around with, right? And it's not like a, a common backyard wasp, which it's fair to say that a common backyard wasp or yellow jacket can kill you if you go into anaphylactic shock. But to answer your question directly, the only time that I ever really was like, dude, we got to cut the cameras for a second was when I got bitten by the giant desert centipede because I was warned by animal experts before doing that, that it was, it was stupid. Don't do it. You are going to go through an amount of pain that you wouldn't want to wish upon your worst enemy. And the way the venom of a giant desert centipede works is it essentially attacks your, your blood cells, gets inside and explodes them from the inside out. Right? Wow. The amount of pain that I went through with that giant desert centipede bite is like white hot. Like I was like whiting out in the heat of the desert, going through the immediate pain, let alone the nine hours that lasted afterwards before I actually held up the white flag and and we took me to an emergency clinic because my arm had swollen to the point where we were afraid that my skin was going to burst at the seams and that something much worse was happening to my body. So (laughs) the giant desert centipede, long story short, is the only one that we ever cut the cameras on because I was like, dude, I got to like get myself composed before we can continue on with the second part of the episode, which was going to be trying to extract the venom Mm -hmm. with that venom extractor, which we kind of got a lot of flack for because venom extractors are not a good thing for you to ever use. But we knew from a movie making standpoint that it would be really extreme and a lot of people would want to watch it. So it worked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, I was just going to ask my follow up question. Have you ever been scared of dying? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a script right now um, of an episode that comes out in February. That's kind of like a compilation episode. Literally, it's on the background of my screen here. It's called Ouch, That Must Have Hurt, which are, are five incidents that have happened to me in nature that were not at all animal induced, but were human error where I have almost died a couple of times. Um, so nothing with animals, would I say, has put me in a spot where I was like, oh, I might die. I mean, I've been close. I've had moments that could have gone the wrong way, like encountering a mother grizzly bear and her cubs oh. on the side of a river in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. And like literally looking that scene that Leonardo DiCaprio's character faced in The Revenant, mm at less than 100 yards. But the bear took its cubs and went the other way and didn't attack. Um, I've also been in an instance where a tiger shark, you know, was coming right at me. It ducked, I weaved, hand went in the wrong spot, mouth opened up. I mean, I looked down the throat of a 14-foot tiger shark. It was not being aggressive, but if my arm had slipped and ended up in its mouth and it bit me where I was in location, certain to bleed out almost certain to bleed out so that's like a close to death moment without actually being within that moment of impact if that makes sense have you had i mean i has your partner like your wife been like you have to stop this i mean have you have you ever been like man we have to stop this i have a kid like i i have to be around for years um well well one thing that you'll you'll i guess i'll just just prove this rumor right now. I'm, I'm not married for oh. the sake of what the, what the internet thinks, but I okay. do have a girlfriend. Okay. I have a daughter. My daughter's um, from a previous relationship, but I was never married. Okay. Uh, but my girlfriend at the time now, she travels with me. She's a medic. Um, oh, and that's she's, convenient. You know, in, extremely supportive of the things I do. My whole family is. You know, they obviously look at some of the stuff as being a huge risk. Any of it would be, but I think it's also fair to say that 
you know, first responders, police, firefighters, even guys that, you know, pick up garbage on the back of a garbage truck. Oh, yeah. I honestly think their job's more dangerous than my job. Mine's just perceived as being extremely dangerous because I put myself into situations where I'm intentionally encountering a moment. But we do a lot of research before I am subjected to a bite or a sting to make sure that there's a good chance nothing's going to happen. I mean, I'm never going to go out there and intentionally take a bite from a great white shark oh, or God. a western diamondback rattlesnake or a king cobra. I mean, if that accidentally happens, you better believe we're going to film it. But there are certain risks that are just never worth the entertainment and educational value that we would ever think about doing. Yeah, and you just you just hit a trigger in my mind because I remember Steve Irwin, he told his crew, if something happens, film. Don't turn yeah. the cameras off, film. Have you yeah. had that discussion with your team? I have, and we have sort of a, look, we're going to document whatever happens based on what it is. God willing that nothing as tragic ever does happen. You know, obviously Steve's family never wanted any of that footage released, mm -hmm. rightfully so. I think if something tragic ever happened to me, we wouldn't release it per se. I mean, we would never be looking like, oh, let's put out a final Coyote Peterson video. Dude, it would, get, it would get so many views. Hold on, just think about the monetization for your daughter, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, that's not I, a I laughing matter. A little more intelligent would probably be done by my, by my crew <laughs> to uh, create legacy, but yeah. um, we do know that if like there's ever an instance where, you know, let's just, Fingers crossed this doesn't happen, but if I were to be bitten by like a venomous snake, like a rattlesnake or a fertilance or something like that, we know to keep running the cameras, let's document the process. Let's show people what is the right thing to do here. Let's walk them through the process and then figure out how would we edit that into something that becomes a lesson of what to not do, where did I make my mistake, and if you ever find yourself in this worst case scenario, most importantly, what should you do? Because that's what we're always trying to do with the mm -hmm. channel is show you what should you do or not do in the world of animals. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, I mean, you've been doing this for a while and can you, be, uh, hopefully you'll be honest with me and hopefully this is not a trick question, but have you, I mean, what is your, have you ever went out for a shoot and it just was such a disappointment? Like, were you ever thinking that something was going to be so spectacular for this YouTube video and then it just fell through? Is there one animal or one adventure that just, that happened for you? Um, it's a great question and it's one that occasionally comes up, but I don't get to talk about ever that much because there, there are fails, right? There mm. are, there are certain species we've gone after that have not amounted to us ever finding the animal. I mean, I think that's one of the big things about brave wilderness that a lot of people don't realize is that you see the wins, right? So it mm. makes us look flawless and that, oh yeah, coyote always gets the animal. He always <laughs> makes the catch. They always <laughs> tie the story together, yep. that's not necessarily the case. But where we've been intelligent with the way that we produce our content is we don't ever go to a location saying, all right, we're calling our shot. We're going to get one animal and one animal only. Mm -hmm. So while we might go out with a species list that contains 60 different animals, if we get 15 of them, it's a pretty good haul. That's 15 pieces of content or clever story that we're able to rope together to make it all, all work to release content on the channel. But there are a handful of times where things just haven't worked out. And there's nothing that like catastrophically stands out to be like, oh man, like you totally went to a location and completely whiffed, like missed mm -hmm. the entire thing. But um, recently we had an episode come out in, I think it was September on the timber rattlesnake, which okay. seems like a rather mundane 
species for the United States. I mean, it's another one of our amazing rattlesnakes. I think they're incredible, but most people look at us like, oh, it's a rattlesnake. Yeah. But truth be told, we went to West Virginia searching for timber rattlesnakes on three other occasions before we finally had a trip where we actually encountered and were able to film snakes. So nobody saw the amount of time that we spent in the field searching, coming up empty handed because none of that footage ever made it onto YouTube. Nobody just wants to see us aimlessly, well, not aimlessly, but wandering around for literally days on the sides of mountains looking for snakes only to be like, no snakes again this time, guys. You know what I mean? People <laughs> want to see the wind. So make sure um, to that's hit the subscribe. Most recent. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- th- thank you for sharing that. I was going to say at the end of that video, make sure to subscribe. <laughs> maybe next. Yeah. <laughs> maybe next week we'll find a snake. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week. Maybe we'll find a snake. Who knows? <laughs> oh my goodness. So let's talk about the transition to Animal Planet. That happened mm-hmm. in 2020. You're a huge hit on YouTube. I'm, I mean, this is me personally, because just being in the entertainment industry, I'm shocked it didn't happen sooner that you were on Animal Planet because you're just blew up YouTube so much. But can we go into that? How was that transition to go on to just one of the most iconic networks in, I guess, our field of work? I mean, really, Animal Planet. Yeah, it, it certainly has been a, you know, a, a life's accomplishment to be a part of of that legacy and uh, you know discovery plus just launched mm. um this past week and we're very excited that the brave the wild episodes are up there so hopefully more people will get to see them um cable television at, as a whole is certainly at a very struggling point in its existence with the way that all media is being consumed but the the road to finally doing a show with the animal planet was actually many years in the making i mean we were approached after being told no a gazillion times by all the networks, once Brave Wilderness started finding its its rise to success on YouTube, everybody came calling back. Right? Oh, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, wait, wait, now we want to do this show. <laughs> but the big thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about conventional television is that the budgets to make a lot of these shows aren't as grandiose as you would think. I mean, you're not out there making Game of Thrones, right? Oh. So in a lot of instances the types of budgets we were offered early on to make a show, we were like, this is not helping us progress our direction digitally. And myself and Mark were very much in tune with where the entertainment industry was headed. People weren't going backwards in time to sign up for a cable subscription. Mm. They were looking into the future for streaming services and free content to be consumed on their mobile devices. So, it took a very long time and a lot of convincing um, before we actually finally decided to go with Animal Planet. And I won't go into all the details sure. as to like the other people we were in negotiations with before we landed with Animal Planet. But, you know, for us, we certainly saw this opportunity to work with a company that had just an unbelievable legacy. I mean, like, dude, that's the kingdom of Steve Irwin and mm. Jeff Corwin. So yep. if you get to go play on that playground, even for a short amount of time, it goes down in, in history. And for us, it was the, the biggest platform to play on. And, you know, we're very proud of the, of the 18 pieces of content we produced um, for Brave the Wild. And we're no longer producing stuff for Animal Planet right now. A big part of that had to do with um, the show is expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to produce. COVID hit. And to be honest with you, people are not consuming content the same way in the cable space that they are in the digital space. Mm. People's attention spans for 
animal adventure content is not like it was in the heyday of Man vs. Wild and River Monsters. River Monsters is the biggest show that has ever happened in Animal Planet's history, mm-hmm. and it's when people were willing to watch through commercials. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, nobody wants to watch cable television for a 30-minute or an hour-long show and have 25% of their time be eaten up with advertisements. You know, if you want to bring somebody an animal and an adventure, you need to give it to them in a finite amount of time and you need to give them A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Cool, I learned a little something, I'm on to the next thing. It doesn't really work in the television space these days. And I'm, I'm not ashamed, afraid, or embarrassed to say that. It's just the reality of what it is. And, um, you know, we decided at that point to continue our direction creating in the digital space because it's where the audience really exists. How many kids between the ages of four and 24 do you think are watching cable television? Mm. Really ask yourself that question. I would, I would guess that if you filled a football stadium full of people between the ages of four and 24 and you said, who watches cable television? Mm-hmm. Maybe a percent of them would raise their hand. A, a large percentage probably wouldn't even know what cable television is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it was so easy to watch you. And I'm, I'm so old fashioned. So my wife usually does this, but I'm so, it was so easy for me. I did it for like the second time yesterday, just to connect my phone to the TV and watch all your stuff on YouTube. It was like, I was watching cable. It just, but it was continual. I didn't have any crazy long ads. I 100% get it. It's easy. Quality's great. Why would I want to, you know? Yeah. 100%. I, yeah, right. dude. Yeah, dude. I get that. That's, yeah, and it's so crazy. I wonder where it's heading to because now, of course, you know, you have TikTok and now you have like 15 second videos and it's just, it's insane. I mean, that's what people are consuming right now. Instagram reels. Yeah, it's, you know, I'll tell you what, from a, a media perspective and running a business, there's always these challenges. Every year, it's like, I mean, great example you bring up is, is TikTok. We haven't even started working in the TikTok space yet, but we're going to start dabbling into it this year. And I have a lot of people ask me, you know, Coyote, when are you going to start doing TikTok? And I'm like, man, if I had the bandwidth to be doing what it takes to do TikTok too, believe me, I would be all over it. But uh, you know, the, the team that makes up Brave Wilderness right now, and you know, we're our company, we just hired three new people, which I think brings us to a total of 17 full-time employees. Wow. Wow. Even at that number, we still don't have the bandwidth to also manage things like TikTok, right? We're so heavy in the YouTube space, mm. the Facebook and the Instagram space. Plus in the background, the other thing people don't know is we've got three other major series in development right now. One that's wow. an animated series, another one that will be a, a streaming series uh, and a, a second animated series, I'm sorry, four things and another YouTube original series. So wow. all of these things, it's like we're a little mini movie studio over here. So then when you say to me, yeah, go create 15 second TikTok videos. I'm like, guys, I don't got time to do it. <laughs> if I had, if I could clone myself and like find that extra time in the day to do it, trust me, I would, but it's, it's tough to manage it all. It's, it's really overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I, I know it's overwhelming. I, I just, I couldn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the TikTok space. It's the good thing about TikTok though, is the algorithms are great. So, and, but you don't, it's, but you don't need that. I mean, you've already have all these subscribers and billions of views. So, I mean, why, why, you know, work on what's working for you and that's the YouTube and the other space. Yeah, and, and, and that's it's that's that's very fair, and, and I, I certainly want to make sure that I'm not coming across to not sound like I'm not grateful for 
the existence of something like oh, yeah. TikTok. Uh-huh. And, you know, the amount of work that we put into the quality of everything we create, when we hit TikTok, we want to do it right. I guess yes. that's that's what I'm ultimately oh, trying yeah. to get at is that, sure, could I just take my phone and be here in my office being, and make up some <laughs> goofy thing to put on TikTok? Yes, but Brave Wilderness, we have, we have established a standard for ourselves and our audience that if we're going to do it, we have to have the right strategy and we it has to have the right meaning for us to go out there and do it. And if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right as compared to just rushing to the platform because it's what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So we will get there. Uh, it's going to happen this year. It's just how are we going to be able to manage it all together? But it, it is a blessing to have because anytime you're as busy as we are, um, it means things are going good. Yeah, dude, that's great, man. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, and I remember seeing your content years ago. And I mean, just years ago, maybe back in maybe like 2015, I don't know. And I just remember thinking, man, these guys did it right. They just did it right. The quality was so, it just was so good. I just, man, these guys did it right. And that's so smart. Um, instead of rushing to that platform, you took a few years to develop that. And so my hat, I don't have a hat on, but if I had a hat, I would take my hat off to you because you guys, you all do a really, really good job. I know we're near an hour. Uh, a couple last questions. Is there one place you would like to visit you have not uh, had a chance to visit yet in the world in film? Mm, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. it seems like every day I see some new spot that I, I haven't been to yet. We have in the works for this year a uh, trip to Baja, Mexico, which I've, I've not been to before. Um, looking forward to hopefully producing in that location. Our next trip is back to Costa Rica in February. Things are a little complicated right now with just the COVID limitations on where we can travel. Um, but we eventually, the, the biggest dream of all time for myself and my wildlife biologist, Mario, is to get to Komodo Island. Komodo is probably my biggest target. Like if I had a magic wand or a magic teleporter and somebody was like, Coyote, you can go somewhere for the next three weeks and, and have all access to produce, where would it be? Komodo in a heartbeat. Like I have to see Komodo dragons in my lifetime. It's just it's a must. So hopefully we'll get to do that sometime soon. Dude, I'm so jealous, man. I saw some PR photos of you holding a Komodo dragon. I'm just like, mm-hmm. what? 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 Not on Komodo Island. I, I know. So I just was like, are clear. you kidding me? I just, oh my God. Dude, Komodo dragons are amazing, dude. I used to take care of one at a zoo, different story, but man, they're so cool. I totally, oh man. Yeah. Komodo Island. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that, that's 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 probably my biggest one. And, and going back to what you just said about, you know, you know, the appreciation for the quality of our content, I, I just have to say thank you for recognizing that because we we really do approach the content that we create like we are filmmakers. Mm-hmm. The sense we are. I mean, every episode we tackle like it is its own little independent film. Every animal story we feel is so incredibly important that if we're gonna put a piece of content out surrounding that species we have to give it everything that we've got for the content that we captured or that we're capable and feeling like we can give to the audience without boring them to death or you know going too far in one direction so we we put a lot of thought into it back in the early days you know back in 2009 when you first you know started producing content did you ever think it was going to get this big no i mean you dream right you like you're like oh man what if this you know there were a couple of youtube channels that i followed at the time that had like a couple million subscribers and like mark and i would you know 
sit around in our, our in my one room apartment at the time, like all starry eyed being like, man, if we could just get to this level, like anything would be possible. And, you know, I, it just really breaks down to believing that it's possible and being willing to put in the hard work because that really is what we can attest the success to. It really came down to wanting to put in that much work. But when I say work, we love our jobs so much it never feels like a job. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm a kid who grew up and basically had his dreams come true when it comes to traveling the world with my friends, making videos, getting to see animals, interacting with dinosaurs and, and, and movie stars and, and all these film franchises. I mean, just like everything that we've had the chance to do so far has been amazing. And it's really all because the audience loves animals. You know, I always try to separate myself from being the guy in front of the camera as Coyote Peterson to be like, people are really here for the animals. I'm glad they enjoy my style of presentation or that they're willing to listen to the words that I put down on paper or the way that, you know, my team brings things together in post-production. But I, I like to really believe that they're there because they're interested in animals because Animals are so cool. You know what I mean? They, they were sharing our planet with these incredible creatures. And the more we know about them, the more we understand them, the more we respect them and recognize that they are a big part of our ecosystem that deserve to be here, just the better the entire world is going to be. God, you said that so great. It's like you've done this before. It's, <laughs> you're such a polished interviewer. Okay, so I have to ask, okay, a couple questions. Okay, so you are in, what did you say? Like you were in this tiny apartment can I ask you, this might be personal, so you don't have to answer it, but I just want to know personally, what did you do when you got that first big check from YouTube or just a little, or maybe it wasn't a huge check, but what was the first, like, what was the first thing you did? What was your first splurge from this starting to pay off for you financially? Well, the thing about YouTube is that there certainly isn't ever a first big check, right? It is (laughs) pennies and dollars that trickle in in the early days of a channel. So between 2000, the launch of the channel in 2014 and June of 2016, Mark and I still had day jobs. So we had full-time day jobs and we were running Brave Wilderness in our spare time after work at night, sometimes till four o'clock in the morning, finishing episodes all of our vacation time and all of our weekends traveling and producing stuff. So the channel was literally trickling pennies, dimes, quarters. Oh my gosh, today we made $10. If we just do this every day for a month, like literally that's how it happened. Um, But when it came to once we really started, you know, grossing some significant dollars, we reinvested. We have reinvested so much back into the Brave Wilderness brand that it's how we were able to grow to the size that we are today. And, you know, whenever I give talks to um, business classes or students that, you know, they want to know how do you how do you crack that YouTube formula? Like, how do you make success in the entertainment industry? The first thing I tell them is reinvest in the people that are helping you on the journey, because It's those people that are backing up the vision. And without those people, you're just two dudes with cameras. And Mm. what are you going to spend your money on? Cars, uh, vacations, like for for what? A, a, A moment of an experience. The more you can invest profits of what it is that you're creating back into your business to grow it, 
that's how legacy is built. And when it comes to Mark and I's vision for Brave Wilderness and the entire Brave Wilderness team, we look to reinvest in what it is that we're, we're doing so that we can continue building it into the future. That's great, man. Well, I'm happy you didn't blow it on a bunch of cars. I mean, we probably wouldn't yeah. be sitting here. I mean, <laughs> so where do you see yourself? My last question, I think, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, that's a great question. Um, we are constantly striving to try to envision what's going to be the next level of media, right? So mm. we talked about cable television and this transition into digital media. We are very much fixated on what is going to be the world that is goggles over your face, right? The world of Oculus, the world of VR. We want to be on the cutting edge of what is the experience you're going to have for adventure, animals, dinosaurs, etc. in the next decade. And we are trying to establish Brave Wilderness as the go-to platform for people to want to interact with when it comes to creating that digital world for animals. And while it is incredibly important that people still get outside and explore in the natural world, there are a lot of people that don't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. People that are stuck indoors, people that are afraid to be outdoors. I mean, there's 101 different reasons for why people want to be in a digital world, but also from a certain safety standpoint when it comes to being face-to-face -face with a lion or a great white shark or a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So we are looking at the world of VR and eventually holographic technology to say, how do we be on the, the tip of the spear when we get to that point? Man, that's great. I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Can I ask one more question? Dude, I have like yeah. so many, I don't even write down my questions. This is just, by the way, <laughs> just, this is just research on you. I'm old school. With yeah, the pen no, and pad. Awesome. What has been, this might be a hard question. What has been your biggest accomplishment through all of this, through all your successes? What is your biggest accomplishment? Ooh, great question. Um, man, it's probably going to sound pretty, pretty cliche, but I mean, did the audience, the, uh, the audience, like, you know, there are, there are great accolades that come with like the success we found in entertainment as a whole. But every day that I wake up, I'm like, man, like this is, we're doing this for the audience, right? And what's cool about YouTube is that it's the audience. It's YouTube is the people's entertainment source, right? Without that audience, these channels don't exist. These views don't accumulate. Those ad dollars don't build up that allow you to move to the next step. So the biggest accomplishment really is just our subscriber base of the audience, the Coyote Pack and the Brave Crew that we have, we have put together at this point. And what's amazing is that for me, what's most meaningful is the younger audience, right? When I hear about the three, the four, the five, the six-year-olds and the parents that write to us that are like, dude, thank you for being a good role model oh. to my tiny kid. Like you got him over being afraid of bugs or you got him to not cry when he falls off his bike and scrapes his knee because he knows that he can be brave just like Coyote. That's so much more meaningful than a trophy or a dollar figure or some sort of, you know, whatever it might be. It's knowing that you're making a difference in the next generation of animal lovers, adventurers, or just kids that want to be kids because that's the future, right? And if we're not having good positive content for these kids to grow up on, they're going to turn into villains in a certain sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Positive influence yields positive return and positive people. So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say the biggest reward is just the, the young audience that we're managing to build behind the Brave Wilderness, the Brave Wilderness legacy. That's great, man. And I mean, honestly, on behalf of me and all the other wildlife, I mean, people who love animals, I just want to say thank you because, I mean, truly, I mean, you are the most watched wildlife content in the digital space. And it's so important. I mean, it's so important with you know, habitats vanishing, animals going extinct, just our world right now is just, I mean, to be frank, a lot of it is in trouble. So the fact that you're highlighting, you know, and even misunderstood animals, and I know we have to go, but I, I know you love snapping turtles and I'm a huge fan too. So to be able to, to be able to just put a spotlight on, you know, more misunderstood animals. I just want to thank you because I just, I, you're just are such a great voice for animals and such an awesome role model. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, and I'm very well aware that not everybody's going to love the work Brave Wilderness does. You know, we certainly get our fair share of negative feedback from, you know, a certain handful of people in either the academic community or the, the animal community. It's totally fair. Not everybody has to like everybody. But I think anybody that gets the chance to talk to me and have a meaningful conversation like we're having here will realize sensationalized in some ways with some of the things that we do. We're aware of that. We're doing it intentionally to get you excited about something like a bullet ant or a velvet ant or a snapping turtle. You know, if I were to just go out there and make you a slow, uh, well-narrated documentary <laughs> of bullet ant, you're probably not really going to remember it. But I'll tell you what you are going to remember. Some dude getting stung by it, rolling around on the ground in the jungle, being like, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. So there's a lot of thought and strategy that goes into how we tell our stories and whether you like it or you love it, our goal at the end of the day is to just really get people loving animals. And I uh, appreciate that you um, recognize that. And uh, it's been so much fun talking to you today. Awesome. Well, you have to plug your show because you need to build your YouTube channel. So where, can, <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, you should probably plug your show. Where can people sure. find, <laughs> where can people find yeah, you? I, you know, <laughs> if you want, if you want the, the YouTube stuff that is, is a rabbit hole of like, I think we're close to like 650 videos now oh, at this yeah. point on the Brave Wilderness channel, something close to that. All you got to do is search Brave Wilderness on YouTube, or if you want to see our television series, Brave the Wild, I think it's playing rather frequently if you still have cable on Animal Planet, but if you are so inclined to go out and pick up uh, Discovery Plus, which just launched this past week, all the Brave the Wild episodes are up on there, free of commercials, I believe, and um, honestly, Brave the Wild is the highest quality content we've ever produced. We are so proud of that series um, and some of our biggest animal encounters we've ever had. That's awesome. Well, Coyote, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wish you luck in all your endeavors. Hopefully we get to meet in person. I mean, honestly, yes. it'd be kind of cool to like, I don't know, you're in Ohio, I'm in Idaho. People get the places mixed up sometimes. So maybe yeah. we'll cross paths. <laughs> well, dude, any, any time, if you ever want me back on the show, I am more than willing. You just let me know when the timing is right. It'd be wonderful to collaborate on something at some point. Um, you know how to get in touch with me. So let's make it happen. That sounds great. What are you doing Monday? No, I'm kidding. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> don't you? <laughs> Coming to Idaho, dog. I know, coming to Idaho. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.